Greetings, everyone. This is a Sound Health radio show with Richard Talk to Me Guy. And as we know, Sherry Edwards is working on the SoundHealthPortal.com. I would suggest, I used to say do a campaign first, but I think really it's really beneficial to scroll down to that page, bottom of that page, SoundHealthPortal.com, and click on the video tab and pick one of the videos where Sherry's doing a live demo online with somebody who's volunteered to have the vocal print, vocal, their voice recording, which we call also a vocal print, run through the software and actually watch what's, what she's doing, what the software is doing, and the kind of reports it gives, because it'll give you a scale or a scope of the idea of what the software can show you by using your, they take a recording, she takes a live recording on air, she then runs it through the software, and it breaks it down into bits and bytes and pieces and shows it in a form, runs it through a bunch of stuff that I won't go into now, but you'll see on the demo. And whether whether she's looking at PTSD, TBI, or Parkinson's, or BioDiet, or my one of my favorites, neuroplasticity, because I always like to make sure that the brain is doing what it should be doing in a great way, maybe just a little more, and see what is what could be called out of alignment or also could be called uh, hypertonistic too much or hypotonistic not enough. But many of the charts now that you can see really display it in such an easy and, oh, there's that. I want to really look into this now because it's oftentimes talking about the methylation cascade, which is the combination of hormones and all sorts of things that we take into our body and break down and turn into other things. And it sometimes can be something a little ajar. And it'll just show up and you'll go, oh, if I took more knack, that might really help that cascade work more effectively. So I would suggest going to soundhealthportal.com and watching one of the video demos. Then you can go back to the same page and scroll up and look at the current campaigns and the campaign is a software package where you can have your vocal print voice run through and get a report. And it could be, as they say, bio diet, Parkinson's, neuroplasticity, golf swing. Who knew? But golf swing is really quite effective for people who play a lot of golf. Shows where a muscle might be a little tight or maybe not tight enough. And what you do, the system, you'll sign up for a free account. The system will walk you through doing two 30 to 40 second second recordings directly from your computer. You submit that, and within two to eight hours at the most, you will get an email. That's why you have to sign up for a free membership. And I suggest sitting down with a cup of tea and reviewing that. And then if you have a healthcare practitioner who's open to this kind of information, you could take it to them and say, oh, look, here's this thing that we've been trying to work on. This confirms that that is the thing. Could we work on that some more? Or here's something we didn't know. Could we check that out? And that's all at the soundhealthportal.com. To hear and share replays of this show, about 15 minutes after you hear the outro music, you can go to talktomeguy.com. Scroll down that page, and you'll see the show in about 10 to 20 minutes after you hear the outro music. There are also archives of about 400 hours of shows there. And at the 
on that page right below the description of the show, you'll see a player that you can play directly from your mobile device. The, the site was built specifically so it's mobile user friendly since a lot of people are listening on everything on their mobile device. So there's a player right there or there's links to all of the typical, usual, everything from Spotify to Audible to Pocket Cast to Google Cast to all the Cast apps where you can listen to the show there. And at the TalkToMeGuy.com site, you can also leave me a message. There's a microphone on that page. And you can leave me a voice message from your mobile device or your computer saying, what about this? What about that? Why don't you interview this person? That kind of thing. So I'm really happy that's up and functional because it's really, as I say, it was really designed with the mobile users in mind. With that, Jennifer Margulis, PhD, is an award-winning science journalist and book author, Fulbright grantee, and a sought-after speaker. Her writing has appeared in many of the nation's most respected and credible publications, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, and on the cover of Smithsonian Magazine. A meticulous researcher who's not afraid to be controversial, she is nationally known as a science journalist who opens people's eyes to the realities behind accepted practices in healthcare and medicine. Jennifer, Jennifer does not court controversy for its own sake. She's passionate about investigating the overlooked dangers of mainstream practices especially when scientific evidence has been brushed aside in favor of special interests. Uncovering these issues is a matter of social justice. Through her writing, she champions the rights of society's most vulnerable, children, mothers, the working poor, older adults, and others on his social or economic margins. She is co-author of The Addiction Spectrum, A Compassionate Holistic Approach to Recovery, and The Vaccine Plan, Dr. Paul's Safe and Effective Approach to Immunity and Health from Pregnancy Through Your Child's Teen Years, both written with Dr. Paul Thomas, MD, an integrative pediatrician and addiction specialist with over 15,000 children in his private practice in Portland, Oregon. Jennifer is also the author of Your Baby, Your Way, Taking Charge of Your Pregnancy, Childbirth, and Parenting Decisions for a Happier, Healthier Family. Jennifer was prominently featured in a PBS Frontline TV documentary, The Vaccine War, and has appeared on CNN's Anderson Cooper 360. One blogger who disagreed with her point of view wrote, A woman like this has considerable influence, more than she rightly deserves. She's articulate. She has the letters PhD after her name to show that she is educated, and she looks good on camera. She's more of a danger than Jenny McCarthy because most of us can't relate to Jenny McCarthy, but we can relate to Jennifer. Jennifer earned a BA from Cornell University, a master's degree from the University of California at Berkeley, and a PhD from Emory University. A Boston native, Jennifer lives with her family in Southern Oregon. Jennifer joins us to talk about self-care and reducing our toxic load. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. I I just had to read the comment by the blogger. I just think it's such a, a fascinating, backhanded compliment. <laughs> that was quite a long introduction. Hopefully, I know, and I cut a lot out. I, I I could yeah, I could just read your bio and information and say thanks. Have a great weekend. It's really extraordinary. You're so amazingly prolific. 
Thank you. And I want to start at an unusual location. I want to ask you, on your site, you suggest we make our own kitchen cleaner. <laughs> Why? What is it? And what are the long-term possible effects of using that? Oh, God, Richard, I love that as your first question. That makes me so happy. So um, first, I need to disclose that I'm I've never considered myself a do-it-yourselfer. Like I'm not, I don't know. I'm just not, I see those bloggers on um, Instagram and Pinterest is the place and they put up these gorgeous, you know, uh, I don't know, birthday cakes or do-it-yourself projects. And I think, oh my God, those people are amazing and I could never do that. So this recipe is for the person who doesn't, have you know 15 hours to figure out how to do everything yourself but we recommend that you make your own cleaning products um, your own spray kitchen spray and also your own laundry detergent and I'll tell you why it's very simple the ingredients in almost all conventional products are either can kill you quickly or kill you slowly <laughs> so <laughs> you know some of them like Drano and that's when my husband and I actually mm. first found out about this is that we were reading a wonderful book called um, Super Baby Food. It's a self-published book full of thousands of tips and basically how to make anything from scratch. And it was somebody had gifted us a copy and then I, I used it so much it fell apart and I went out and bought another copy. And she had told, Ruth Yaron had told a story about a little boy who had found the Drano under the sink and thought, you know, it was beautiful and grabbed it and put it to his mouth, a toddler, and, you know, spent the rest has spent the rest of his childhood and young adult life being severely deformed because of this corrosive chemical that he put in his mouth. And, you know, every, most parents, I mean, we all make mistakes when we put stuff under the sink, but that's very obvious. The other thing that, you know, you probably saw the news stories about was that those Tide, the little popular mm. laundry detergent bubbles, they look uh -huh. like candy and people eat them. And, they're, you know, they're so, I mean, you don't want to eat that stuff and anybody can kind of understand right away, oh my God, that's going to corrode your face. We've got to get those kind of toxins away from our kids, right? But then there's the whole issue of the slow kill, which is that the more you rub carcinogenic things onto your skin, the more you eat carcinogens and other endocrine disruptions, disruptors in your food, the, 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 the increase in your total body burden of toxicity. And so that's a lot harder to understand because even people who have really looked into some of these issues are still using totally conventional toothpaste and kitchen cleaner because it's what works and it's what the brand that they recognize. So, so back to your question. Um, basically, you can get a spray bottle. You can fill that bottle with vinegar and um, water, and you're pretty much good to go because vinegar is a wonderful, wonderful cleaning agent. It will make your house smell clean and sort of fresh. It won't be a scented smell. It'll just be sort of a fresh smell. And, you know, that's it. And think about that. Think about the thousands of dollars you save if you just go out and buy a big jug of organic vinegar um, and do it yourself. Then you can get a little more fancy and you can put a few more ingredients in it that if you really need more of a conventional clean, and that's what we have on the website is a, a recipe that's very easy. It literally will take you five minutes once you get the starting, the startup. 
products. Um, it'll take you five minutes and it will cost you pennies. So you save money, you save the environment, and you save your family's health. Radical. You're such a radical. Um, and then there's another one. I don't know that I, I couldn't find this on your site, but in my process of studying for the show, I heard or read you talk about a do-it-yourself toothpaste. Oh, I think you, uh, that's interesting because I've never made my own toothpaste, but you know, you can always, oh. um, I think you might've heard me talking about tooth powder as opposed to toothpaste. Yes. Oh, sorry. Yes. That's what I said. Yeah. yeah tooth powder. No, no. I mean, I would love to find a recipe to make your own tooth powder, but that's a great example of me not being a very do-it-yourselfer, you know. Um, and it's actually, you said it's radical, but in some way it's very traditional. Like our, you know, that vinegar and brown paper, um, you know, there's so many wonderful uses for vinegar and, you know, the Jack, Jack and Jill went up the hill, right? And then, and it turns out, you know, and we, we can, you can take a little bit of brown paper, like you get off a paper bag and you can soak it in vinegar and you can put it on a wound um, as a, as a kind of like a do it yourself bandaid. And it's native um, people from this area. I was in a group with women and they were talking about how that was something they did. And this, this was a group of um, Islamic and Jewish women coming together. And two of the Islamic women were actually, um, they're also Native Americans. And then one was from Turkey. And she said, oh, yeah, that's what my grandmother used to do, too. She said vinegar and brown paper, you know, so it's not really radical. It's more of a throwback kind of a thing. But the, the tooth powder, Richard, and I don't know, maybe you can tell us what kind of toothpaste you use. But Years ago, uh, a, a friend of mine who's a healthcare professional, we were arguing about the soap in his bathroom because <laughs> in his in his office um, because his soap was just full. I said, "Have you looked at the ingredients in this soap? You know, it's got it's got three different dyes in it, and it's got mm. you know so many um, ingredients that you really don't want your people putting on their hands, including it was an antibacterial soap, which I also something we could talk about, but." And he said, oh, but that's what people want. That's what people want. And I said, well, but that's because that's what you're offering them. And you're a thought leader for all of your patients. And how about you offer them something a little more gentle? And I think they'll be fine with that, too. And he said, okay, you know, you're really making me think about this. But he was the one, ironically, who was telling me that our conventional toothpaste is really not so good and that you should use tooth powder. And this is not something that I've looked into extensively, but I will say that you can get tooth powder and, you know, so it doesn't have the, is it the glycerin? It doesn't have glycerin in it. And you can get it and it works really, really well. You can just brush your teeth with baking soda if you want to do that. And, or you can get, you know, much more gentle toothpaste, which is maybe the third choice, um, that don't in, contain toxic dyes, that don't contain a lot of, you know, chemicals that are really akin to slow poisons. And it doesn't seem to me we really need to go out of our way to put chemicals directly into our mucous membranes, meaning our gums and our mouth. Come on, really? Seems bad. Yeah, um, you'd be surprised that so there's that and there's also your underarms, right? So people really oh, want to have beautiful white teeth and I get it that people are very vain about their mouths and perhaps they should be. And then they also don't want to smell bad. And did you hear the story about this um, heavyweight um, lifter Instagram star who's, I think, 22 years old, who was undergoing surgery for to stop sweating? So there's a new movement afoot to, like, you can get this really extensive surgery to stop your body from sweating. And this poor young woman who was literally 
posting about how this surgery was safe and effective because it was part of her branding and she actually um, she died on the operating table she she probably had a reaction to the anesthesia or the doctor did something wrong so she never got the surgery but just the idea that in our culture you know in our in our human culture not just America we would be so desperate to stop sweating that we would actually undergo a massive surgery is pretty um, shocking in some ways, but it's true that people don't want to sweat, right? And so then they, the things that they put under their arms, Richard, are so toxic and it's going right into your lymph system. And you've really also got to look at what the ingredients are in the deodorant you use. Yes. I'm trying to think of the, I've made a blend for a long time using um, liquid minerals, mostly a briny sea solution. I just can't remember the source for the briny sea solution. And lavender oil and a little bit of something else that I falls off the table at this moment. It's just a spray. And it's quite friendly and it's dirt cheap to make. And it lasts a really long time and it has nothing noxious in it. It has sea minerals, really just like normal sea minerals. And you spray it under your arm? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll find the yeah. recipe. I will find okay. the recipe. And one of the reasons that I, uh, this is strong, but I'll be polite, I hate toothpaste, is because I can't find a, an actual statistic on it because the numbers are so different. But upwards of 500 million tubes of toothpaste or tubes from toothpaste end up in landfill every year. Mm. 500 million. We don't have enough plastic in the landfill. We need more, for God's sakes. We've got to use more plastic. So, and it's and it's not really something that can be. It's not by. It's not recyclable because it's had this goo in it, and nobody's yeah. going to cut open their toothpaste tube and clean it out and scrub it and clean it, then throw it in recycling. And the recyclers are still not going to use it because it's had a foodish kind of item in it, and they hate that. Mm. And it would also help. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, something. It's, think about that so often when we do something that's healthier for ourselves and our bodies, it's also healthier for planet earth. Oh, that only where we live. Really? <laughs> Come on people. <laughs> um, yeah, really this, you know, all of these, they seem like, I wanted to start there because they seem like I, I too do not think of you as a, as a do it yourself. You know, I'm not going to your site thinking, Oh, I'll find the recipe for this here not in a derogatory way, but just like you're a, a researcher scientist type. And I mean that in the best of way, um, yeah. even though you're more of a threat than Jenny, Jenny McCarthy. Really, <laughs> It just makes me like, wow, that's such a stretch um, that it's these little things. I mean, if we, if we all just changed from using insert name here of product to spray our counters with, so they're bright and shiny, and usually in the commercial there could be a giant genie, which I always thought was a little scary as a kid, um, and spray this stuff all over and wipe it off. We could just be using products like vinegar. I've used agricultural vinegar, which is much stronger than over the tape, you know, regular white vinegar, to kill weeds because it works really well. You use 40% vinegar, and you spray it on a weed, and the weed goes, wow, and is dead. And the, the only thing that you've got is ants are a little annoyed because it makes their feet sweat or something. I don't know. Ants really hate it. And a, a bunch of things like that where it's just let's all just use maybe baking soda 
occasionally I use um, diatomaceous earth to sort of polish my teeth because the diatomaceous earth uh, crush as you use them. You can also use it as a facial scrub because it doesn't grate. It it cleans. You wouldn't use it every day because it could be a little too much. But it's another thing that you can use that's very easy to get. Food grade diatomaceous earth is available at most health food stores. And you can use it topically. You can use it as a toothpaste, as a tooth powder. I think that's part of the trick is we've all gotten so directed toward must-have tube of goo to brush teeth. Those <laughs> tooth powders have been around forever. And you know what they use in West Africa? Um, they use sticks. Um, so this is really like zero impact, I think. Um, little, I think it's from the neem tree. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. I, I, yes, um, yes and, that's it. You know, we lived and worked in, in, in West Africa, in Niger, and people have the most beautiful teeth. I mean, just absolutely gorgeous teeth. And they're not walking around with, you know, mouths full of rotting teeth and cavities. And they often just use a, a, a little neem stick that you can use over and over again. And they do that two or three times a day to clean their teeth. Neem is also antimicrobial and antifungal, so it helps keep the gums healthier. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, what you're talking about, though, is uh, crazy because no one makes any money off of it. I mean, if, if everybody not only listening to your show, but let's say our town of 21,000 people today stopped buying all these cleaning products and just bought vinegar, um, you know, so many companies would be going out of business. So many grocery stores would have a fewer products to sell. I mean, you have to the context is that we are trying desperately to sell people things. And I always get into trouble with this because I think that almost everything that is the most important kind of in life and in health is really not something that you can make any money at or that you should tell somebody to buy. Like we want to go buy something to fix a problem, but really so many of the solutions are just right here right now in front of us and they don't cost any money. And I say that I run into problems because you know, my website is a great example. I hemorrhage money from my website. It's just, it's like a, you know, it needs a tourniquet at this point and I, I won't run advertisements <laughs> on it and I, I have to pay for the hosting fees. And honestly, like, I don't, you know, I don't want to sell anybody anything. I just want people to be healthy. And that is not, um, that's not financially sustainable <laughs> most of the time. So. Yes. No, I, I, I resemble that remark. I completely understand. <laughs> I don't want to sell anything. I really don't. I have bad words about that. I really don't want to sell anything. What we're doing right now is what I'd like to sell. That would be amazing. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to something that this is really so about total toxic load. Bayer. So there goes the trigger. Bayer alert. Bayer is going to stop residential sales of glyphosate-based Roundup by 2023. And I went and read, originally I I heard people all excited like, oh my God, they're going to stop glyphosate. And then I read very specifically that yes, to consumer, to to regular consumers, meaning people that are spraying in their lawns, in their yards. But farmers will still have access to it. So farmers can still be spraying our food supply now to the point of where they spray it about five minutes before harvest because it acts as such a great defoliant. Doesn't that teach you something about what it does to the plant? Yeah. Mm. Um, so now they're going to stop it by 2023 to consumers. Now, 
what do you think that the rest of the other countries in the world, like Mexico and many uh, numerous other countries, know about glyphosate that we can't seem to figure out? Yeah, I mean, this is really, you know, on the one hand, it's good news, and on the other hand, it's highly problematic. So that statement from the global chemical giants came out on uh, July 29th, and it was met with so much enthusiasm from anybody, everyone who cares about the environment. But then if you actually go read the statement, which I think you said you just, you did, it says, and I'm quoting from it, there will be no change in the availability of the company's glyphosate formulations in the U.S. professional and agricultural markets. So, of course, we have, I mean, there's so much to unpack here, isn't there? We have a it's wonderful that it's not going to be available residentially, but the thing is, we have to go back to what you said earlier. We have to give people a non-toxic way you know, some people are going to want to have these beautiful lawns. And it just, whenever I look at the, 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 uh, the label on Roundup, so everyone knows that glyphosate is the main ingredient in Roundup and that glyphosate itself plus its adjuvants is causing so much damage to the environment and to human health. But you look at the, um, the label Richard, and it shows these beautiful dandelions, you know, and it's like as if these are the toxic weeds we have to kill. I mean, that's part of what I, you know, they're trying to get you. <laughs> it kills dandelions and clover as if that's something terrible to have on your lawn. <laughs> it's literally right there on the packaging. But so, you know, it's it's really a crisis in the United States that the United States is not is not banning this. And of course, we have a history of that. We you we know that um, if you buy I, I might have said this on your show last time, but if you buy a milkshake at a McDonald's in Paris, um, a strawberry milkshake, it just has strawberries in it and milk. And if you buy a, a milkshake at a McDonald's in America, there's no strawberries in it. There's red dye number 40. <laughs> So, like, you know, the European Union has figured out that we do not put these toxic dyes into our children's food, and we can't seem to figure that out here in America. Um, I think that the, the information is indisputable, and there's a new book um, by MIT senior research scientist Stephanie Seneff, who I think you had on your show. Um, numerous times, yes. Numerous times. Um, so her new book, Toxic Legacy, which I highly recommend that everybody get. And full disclosure, I worked on the book. I was I helped her with the editing process. But um, <laughs> the, it's, it's about how this weed killer, glyphosate, is destroying our health and the environment. And you'll think that you know it, but you open the book and you just start. You know, there's so many eye-opening and fascinating and worrisome pieces of information that you have never had before, no matter how long you've been following this whole controversy with Roundup. But the bottom line is it has to be banned. It has to be banned in every use in the United States forever, and it cannot be replaced with something equally as toxic. And that second part of what I just said makes me very nervous because a lot of people have um, compared Toxic Legacy to Silent Spring. And I, I mean, I mm -hmm. remember Rachel Carson's Silent Spring and just being so moved and fascinated mm -hmm. by that book. And it was such a successful book in so many ways. It really launched an environmental movement, but then we ended up with Roundup. And so if we can ban Roundup, let's not end up with something worse. Let's do the 
agricultural grade vinegar. Let's find, you know, robotic weeding is another, I can kind of a 22nd, 22nd century idea. You know, there's all these other things that we could use our formidable human intelligence to find ways to actually do what people want, meaning have no dandelions in their lawn, which I think is ridiculous. But if you don't want dandelions, <laughs> I, I want to give you options to not have dandelions, um, you know, so that people can have the lawns that they want without, without the, the health and ecological impacts. And when did dandelions become the Simon Legree of weeds? <laughs> um, you know, as, a, as an herbalist, dandelions have benefits. The root of dandelions are a great blood purifier. That's been in the pharmacopoeia since the 1800s. They used to compound pharmacists, used to grind up various plant roots into either a capsule or into then grind them up and then put them in a tincture. And dandelion is a classic blood purifier. So it has benefit. You know, the leaves can be thrown in a salad. You could maybe eat the flowers. I haven't done that, but I suspect you could. Oh, yes, you can eat the flowers, absolutely. Okay. So it's like, I I don't understand the evil sound effect for dandelions. Like, oh, my God, we have to stop everything and kill the dandelions. Why? And literally right before we got on this show, I was talking to Rick Kirshner, who's a naturopathic doctor and was the president of Naturopathic Institute. And he was literally just telling me, about dandelion root and he said that he and his he's retired now but he and his wife are are drinking um dandelion root tea every day for now because of the sort of upsurge in covid cases and that this is one of the things that will help you so not only it's a it's wonderful it's a it's a wonderful beautiful flower and you can also make it into daisy chains and you know eat it and use it medicinally. And the, the reason though, there is a, your question wasn't rhetorical. There is actually an answer to your question. In order to, um, to sell something to someone, you must create a problem to which you have the solution. <laughs> so, you know, and often these are problems that nobody actually, that don't exist or nobody thought of before as problems, but you must create that problem and then you sell them the solution and you know the the different companies that started with Monsanto and now it's there who have owned um, glyphosate have done a spectacular job I mean they are just so incredibly solvent and lucrative and they are you know I I think that they're laughing all the way to the bank at you and at me Richard yes (laughs) this is where I need to I'm trying to figure out I need to have a sound effect for follow the money because it's really, it, it comes down to, for me, to really bear, you know, and I think it was, well, that's the whole show. I'll just stop there. Uh, that we need, I need a sound effect to follow the money, because it really is about the money. You create, you create a, like, you know, Simon Legree character of the dandelion, put it on the bottle, and here's the thing that you can spray on it. Now, you could spray agricultural vinegar on that same dandelion if you really need to kill it. Why? Um, there must be an herb that'll help you realize. Oh, wait, no, that's a good herb. And and really, there are many ways of of taking care of the issue. And and regarding agriculture, farmers, other than sterilizing the soil, I grew up near the Salinas Valley. And for decades, I would watch them plasticize the field, literally rows of plastic up and down the hills. Not giant, giant sheets, but like mounds of dirt covered in plastic. And the reason they did that is because they then 
gassed the soil with methyl bromide. Mm-hmm. And the methyl bromide killed everything. So that the soil was really just dead. It was just dirt without life. No microbiome of its own, no, no natural pathogens. It was just soil. And the reason they did that is because then they planted strawberries. And the strawberries were so immunosuppressed. This is my thinking. The strawberries were so weak and so immunosuppressed, they couldn't fight with anything else. They couldn't survive amongst any other you know, pathogen in the soil. Mm. So they did that for decades. Now, micro, methyl bromide is r- ridiculously destructive to the ozone layer. Mm. It's, you're sterilizing the soil. How is that good? Um, the soil, to me, is, has a really wants to have a microbiome of its, own, of its own, just as we do, so that the food that they're sterilizing in the soil and then spraying our food with glyphosate before they harvest it is then going into the soil and killing more microbiome. And Stephanie, have t- Stephanie Seneff and I have had this conversation where it's killing everything. And, so, and now people have a lot of issues with their gut and their microbiome. We're having to restore our microbiota because the foods that we're getting, if we're getting anything commercial, is kind of lifeless. I don't have a question there. Your listeners can't, but I'm just nodding my head because it's absolutely true. And, you know, people become perplexed because they're doing their best to eat well. I mean, even, you know, and even when you sort of wake up to a lot of these issues and you do your best and you're eating as much organic food as you possibly can, but then your body isn't absorbing it correctly because when you have a, a destroyed microbiome that has been happening over many years you you don't just sort of instantly bounce back and then when you have anemic vegetables that are not as full of the micronutrients that they once were and that they should be you know you have sort of a perfect storm of of problems and it's not just the microbiome i I love the idea about the the microbiome of the soil and that's stephanie says um dr seneff in her book says you know so so with the soil as with the gut kind of uh, an analogy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very apt, but you know, glyphosate and, and these other products are also uh, specifically glyphosate is destroying the microbiome of bees. And so we saw in, I think it was in 2019, we saw 50 billion bees that had been um, pollinating the almond trees died. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember when that, study came out, um, yes. but you know, yes. 50 billion bees died over the winter of, yes, it was the winter of t- 2018 and 2019. And it's interesting because we've seen, there's been several studies done now to look at how glyphosate affects the bees. And the issue here, Richard, is that, you know, you can have an organic farm, a wonderful, lovely organic farm, and your neighbor next door can have be spraying like crazy and bees don't know property lines they don't know boundaries and they're going to go pollinate whatever they're going to pollinate so it's very a lot of people i've talked to say well i don't buy organic because i i don't believe in it because how do you know that it's really organic and that's a fair criticism you know when we do testing on products like honey we've tested honey we find glyphosate in measurable Mm. amounts organic honey which is not to say that you shouldn't be buying organic you 100% should but it's but what I'm saying is that we have a we live in an ecosystem and this is a system-wide problem that has to be we need to get everyone on board which is why I actually I don't like government regulation to be totally honest but in this instance 
we've got to get the glyphosate out of the food supply. Well, and I feel, you know, the bee, I, I've, I feel about bees, well, all pollinators, but the bees in particular, I, I consider bees a biomarker of health of the airways and the plant life that they're going toward. And a biomarker is like a state of inflammation on the body is a, is a biomarker. It's a, it's a biological marker of <clears throat> a condition. Inflammation is an indication of something's either swollen or damaged or, you know, the body's heating up to fix something. And I really think that the bees are a, an amazing biomarker, a sad mar- biomarker of the state of health of our planet because they're dying. And people are sort of like, oh, so the bees die, so what? Bees die, pollinators go, we're next. Because without pollinators, there's nothing unless you're going to hire 9 million people to go out with little hairbrushes and, you know, paint pollen in the next plant. <laughs> That's an interesting visual, yeah. <laughs> I know some orchid growers who actually do use little tiny camel hairbrushes to pollinate, to breed a new orchid. Uh, yeah. but that's a limited group. <laughs> so it's just it just blows my mind that billions of bees dying seems to be air quote okay no i don't think it is i mean i I don't think that any thinking person really thinks it is i mean it's not only the question of pollinating right because of course they're doing that which means that we cannot grow food if we don't have bees but also there are birds that eat the bees there are dragonflies there are spiders and so and then, of course, there's all of the animals that also honey is an important part of their diet, right? Like humans can live without honey just fine, but um, there are a lot of other animals that need it too. So, yeah, and, and instead, I, it, you're right, it's a, it's a disturbing thought, this idea that bees are dying. And maybe that's what, maybe bees aren't cute enough. I mean, maybe we need to talk about the, the, the puppies, <laughs> You know, one of the great ways to get around censorship on social media is to always post pictures of adorable dogs. And then the AI, the um, the artificial intelligent bots really love those kind of posts. <laughs> they love birthday posts and anniversary posts and cute puppies and cute kitties. And I don't know, maybe bees really aren't cute enough um, for people to really care. But when I see a bee, I you know, I, I see kind of all of the potential and possibility in the world. I absolutely love love bees and I don't want to see them dying off. I don't think anybody does. Yeah. And there's such a vital part of the ecosystem. I also have a, I have a lot of hummingbirds and bees in my backyard and I have a lot of plants that draw both of them. So I spend a lot of time photographing. My meditation is doing photography Mm. and I photograph a a lot of birds and bees and those kinds of things. Puppies somewhat. Uh, there is a, there is actually a thing I've had this conversation with some veterinarians that I've interviewed where I remember when San Francisco, the city of San Francisco stopped using glyphosate in all public parks. This is about within 10 years ago. And one of the veterinarians that was a San Francisco based vet noticed that dogs seem to be getting slightly less sick. Mm. So if you think about it, you take your dog to the park, your dog runs all over the park, paws, tissue, skin, absorbs. They have liver issues. They have kidney issues. They have issues that can be possibly glyphosate-based. Could be something else, but they're out there running around on this stuff barefoot, although we do see dogs with little mittens on their feet now. 
which I was always like, really? Does the dog really like that? I can't tell. Um, but so they're out there running around and also cats somewhat. We don't think of cats as running around on the lawn, but they are. Cats do a lot more grooming, so they lick their paws a lot. Dogs lick their paws, but also dogs are more inclined to be out running in fields and doing that kind of thing that have been sprayed possibly. And so he observed that in that 10 year time that he noticed that many of the dogs were having some kind of reduction in some kinds of specific illnesses, typically liver related, which would be the first organ that would be attacked by that kind of toxicity. Mm-hmm. And, and so if we think about that with bees, you know, we don't have anybody looking at bees paws. <laughs> so to speak. I don't know what, um, but they're dying like crazy and it's not good. It's, no, it's, you know, it's just mind blowing because it's, again, as I say, I really see bees as a, as a marker for indication of the health of what they're consuming, which eventually we're going to consume. Like I, for example, I live in wine country. I live in Sonoma County, although most of California is now wine country. And I know wine producers that have been producing permaculture, biodynamic, all the perfect words, wine for decades never used a pesticide on any of their product ever. And yet they're now getting trace levels of glyphosate in their organic permaculture biodynamic grown wine because there's so much of it in the water table. And that's horrifying on so many levels. Uh, it's just, again, I'm sorry I don't have a question there, but it just, you know, it just blows have, my I, mind. <laughs> but I have, a, I have a comment, which is that let's go back to a solution so that people aren't yes. left with Thank a sense you. of doom and doom. Because I really am a optimistic person, and I think it's really good to see the brighter side of it. So back to your garden. I love that image, and I want to see your photographs, all of them. Um, and the, the thing is that everyone, anyone can plant a garden and help the pollinators. And even if you think you don't have a green thumb, you know, you can, you can start putting in plants. And the funny thing is that you don't have to be out there. It, there's a lot of research, I'm sure you're aware of, that the more time you spend outside and the more time you spend sort of tending a garden is, is very positively correlated with longevity. We actually want our kids to take their shoes off and to run around in the mud, but we don't want them to be run, running around in toxic floods, right? Um, mm-hmm. but, and grown-ups, too. We need to... We need to put our hands in the soil. But even if that's not who you are and you're more of an indoorsy kind of a person, um, the, the really fun thing, which I wish I could show your listeners, is that, you know, you plant a garden one year and then the next year the garden is going to do what it does by itself. So I did, I planted sunflowers for the first time last year and aren't those the most wonderful oh, wow. in the world? And here's a fun English trick that you can do, which is um, done in British gardens, where you start the sunflowers a little bit earlier, and then you have peas, um, any kind of climbing plants, peas or or morning glories, can then you can plant them around your sunflowers, and then the sunflowers make a natural scaffolding for your snow peas, say. Um, but in any case, I didn't have time this past um, spring as much as I wanted to, and I and I do. I live in a very drought-ridden area, so I have questions about that. I have I have one native tree that is really thriving in the in in the garden space, which I'm very proud of. Every time I look at it, it makes me happy, and of course, it doesn't need any water. And I did plant a whole bunch of natives last year as well that are just now taking off, but. I didn't really have the time, unfortunately, this spring to work in the garden. And my garden is just this 
beautiful jungle of color and there are sunflowers everywhere because they <laughs> naturalize, you know, they're just, they're doing what they're doing. And it's really kind of wonderful to see all of the bees that are coming. Like I feel guilty because I'm not growing food. I've had bumper crops of the things that will grow well around here when you don't, when you neglect them, I'm a very neglectful gardener, but we have, so things like lemon cucumbers and zucchini and squashes do amazingly well without any tending. And I don't have any of that food. I just have my chives and my strawberries or did come up, but, but I have a garden full of bees and flowers and color. And so, I mean, if I can do it, I think anyone can do it. And, you know, that's the, as much as we are worried and we should be, there's so much beauty in the world and there's so much to celebrate. Well, and a handful of milkweed seeds, which butterflies love. Um, I'm a big fan of butterflies because again, another indicator of health of the, of the planet. And you can throw out, I used to make seed bombs, which are much kinder than they sound. And what that means is that you take some sort of substance like, you know, maybe organic cornmeal, maybe a little bit of organic flour, and you combine that and make it sort of into a mushy paste. And then you smash that while it's still damp into seeds like milkweed or other local weeds that will grow well. And when you drive out in the country, theoretically, you could see a field or a ditch where you know it's going to get water from rain and you throw this seed bomb over mm -hmm. there. And then when it gets wet, it's going to fall apart and those seeds are going to start growing along the streams. And then they're going to spread to fields where they're wild. And either the cows are going to eat them or the birds. And I've done this. Well, theoretically, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to. So maybe I've done this. <laughs> in, my, in my mind, I've done this. There we go. That's how it is. And it's amazing. It's, it's a great way of getting milkweed, which is one of butterflies' favorite things. And the poor butterflies are having it. Like the monarch butterflies, I grew up near Pacific Grove, California, where there used to be, for decades, there were butterfly parades because Pacific Grove was a place that the butterflies, the monarchs particularly, would stop in Pacific Grove because of the pine trees and hang out on their trip from like Canada, Mexico or something amazing. And mm. literally parades of children. I was one of those children in a butterfly outfit, but with thousands of butterflies around. And now that they're not there anymore, there's like two or five, you know, lone monarchs going, didn't we used to gather here every year? What's going on? I feel so alone. And they love milkweed. All butterflies love milkweed. That's and really good. No. So then, so then, right. So, and I love butterflies too, so much. So we should get everybody to plant some milkweeds in their, yes. in, in their garden or maybe surreptitiously. It's kind of like gorilla eco-friendly something. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, and it, it really, what, what made me think of it partially is it's one of those things that when you plant it, it will self seed. So if you just plant it once, or plant, get them going once, they will self seed and you will just have, milkweed going every year. Yeah. I, I, I too love those kinds of gardens where it looks like somebody tossed out a handful of seeds and they just repeat every year because they just will self seed. And it's a thing of beauty to see a wild garden with all this wonderful color popping up. Richard, I'm not sure that I love the way my garden is, but it's just like the jungle of my garden. I just, it's funny. I really admire, you know, people who have just everything in neat rows and they're just growing so much food. And I, 
I aspire to be that kind of gardener, but the reality of, you know, having a full-time job, a husband with a disability and um, four children to support means that I'm just not able to do that now. So you have to sleep occasionally when you're not writing columns, books, or editing for <laughs> Stephanie Seneff. I mean, you occasionally you have to sleep. Right. There's yeah. that. Yeah, there um, is. I'm, I'm going to jump for a minute because I know we're going to run out of time because it always happens, and I know you have a hard out, that I'm jumping to a question I was going to ask at the very end, but I want to toss in now. From your years of research, writing, reviewing, and reporting – do you see a way in which we can have a fair and honest reporting on the sub on a variety of subjects in the media? Let's say health. Is there a, is there a gateway to that that you can imagine? Yes, absolutely. I think that's an excellent question. I really appreciate it. And I and one of the things behind your question, I think, is that there's been kind of a a, a slamming of the door of conversation. And I always mm-hmm. think we have to be able to talk and we have to be able to think and so many people have been living with so much fear and anxiety and grief in this past year and a half. Um, and I think that one of the ways that expresses itself, I mean, I actually had somebody tell me that if I, I waited to make, to do something just because I said I was going to take a wait and see approach that I, by, to, till September and we're in the, the second week of August, right? Um, that said to me, that will be too late. I mean, as if, you know, the entire, basically, she was expressing that I might kill my entire family if I don't do what she wants me to do right now. <laughs> yeah. And I think that tends to be the level of dialogue. It's actually quite disturbing. But I, but I, um, I've been very heartened. You know, I've been writing articles for the Mind and Body section now of the Epoch Times. And if you look up the Epoch Times, you'll think, oh my God, this is a radical right wing Trump supporting yada yada yada. And um, it's absolutely not true, but the first page of anything on Google is likely to be, you know, propaganda and not actual information. Um, and I had that concern as well. And then I, you know, when they, the editors approached me and asked me if I would do some work. And what this paper does is it tries to combine traditional wisdom with with scientific information and knowledge and empower their you know, part of the agenda of the mind and body section, which is why they came to me, is to empower people to have good information and to take control of their health. And the thing is, is that when you have, it's that follow the money, it's the cha-ching that you're going to find for your sound effect, right? You're, but you have to always, any conversation, look at what do people have to gain and what do they have to lose when they're promoting something. And I think that good newspapers are, are, are doing that, although it's become so incredibly polarized, but the, so if you just go to the mainstream media, you're really not going to get the whole story. If, you, if you're if you willing to look at an issue and, and, and check out maybe five different media sources, you are going to be able to draw your own conclusions and get the whole story. And then we have a, a proliferation of social media as much as they're trying to crack down on it, which, you know, anytime free speech is being censored, that's like exactly where you should go. <laughs> and a great example of that is is this terrible, um, there was such a hit piece in the New York Times about Dr. Merkola and, you know, mm. basically telling people all sorts of phony and false information about Joseph Merkola. And the interesting thing is that, so uh, Stephanie Seneff's book was published by Chelsea Green and 
Dr. Merkula has a book called The Truth About COVID-19 that was also published by Chelsea Green. Well, the minute that that hit piece came out in the New York Times, um, The Truth About COVID-19 jumped to number one on Amazon. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> laughing, I'm laughing with him about that. Yeah. Right. Well, he had already, right out the gate, they sold over 100,000 copies of the book. It's an excellent book. And anyone who's read Merkula knows that his his information is very carefully fact-checked. And so, you know, it's always referenced, which means that if there's something you don't agree with, and he's going to get things wrong, I'm going to get things wrong, you're going to get things wrong. There are, you know, science is a conversation. It's a process of questioning. Things are going to change. But one thing that's very empowering is that for anyone who's kind of a research geek like I am, you can always go and check his sources. And then you might say, oh, I don't think that's right, or I think he misinterpreted it, but it's right there. And what's wonderful about this, I mean, the book has a huge number of references on the back for people to check for themselves and sold 100,000 copies right out the gate. The New York Times is trying to shut him down to the point where he's now saying that he actually is only going to keep his content on his website for 48 hours and then take it down. I mean, he's concerned about his own health and safety given this campaign against him. Um, but, that, you know, that's the gloom and doom side. And then the better side is that you tell Americans not to read something and they are going to go and buy it and read it and educate themselves. So I think like it's, it's being an empowered person and a thoughtful person. And when you have a knee jerk reaction to something like my, you know, my friend who told me I was going to kill my family, um, when something is all about emotion for you, that's the moment to take a deep breath, step back and say, okay, why am I so triggered by this? Is, is my fear and concern really warranted? Where am I getting my information? And let me look at another point of view so that I can educate myself and open my mind. And it's not so that you have one point of view and that's it. It's so that you actually have a, a nuanced approach to things, which is what I'm always trying to do. I don't know that I always succeed, but I do think that life is complicated and messy and fascinating and it's not black and white. And that's one of the wonderful things about it, but it's one of the things humans want everything to be just cut and dried, black and white, you have a headache, you take this pill, you're done. You have a weed, you put this product on it, you're done. And, you know, the real life isn't that way. And I'm actually grateful that it's not because I think, I think nuance is much more interesting. Much more interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm such a fan of your being such a fan of this radical idea of dialogue. Oh, my God. You mean we actually have to talk? I'm, I'm <laughs> that I remember in black and white, that's how old I am, uh, William F. Buckley Jr. and Gorok Badal on TV with cocktails and cigarettes. That's how long ago this was. Arguing with each other about various <laughs> subjects. You know, whatever. So you'd have to look them up. There was a documentary made about them called Best of Enemies or mm. Best Enemies. And I was fascinated. I couldn't understand most of what William F. Buckley Jr. was saying because he's him, there's that. But also just, I was fascinated, even as a kid, watching them dialogue with each other, knowing, that, just having the sense that there was always a little smirk, particularly from Buckley, a little smirk like, I'm having fun. <laughs> you know, like they were, they were really sparring about whatever they were arguing about. But we, we seem to have lost that, or it's, it's set aside currently, where that idea of, we may not agree about something, but we can talk about it. Yes. And, you know, we've, we've kind of decided to 
try to kill messengers, basically. We're doing what, you know, the mistake that Macbeth made and <laughs> you in Shakespeare's play, you know, you can kill the messenger every single time, but that's not going to stop the, the what's actually happening. And it seems very unfortunate to me that, um, you know, instead of really looking into something, we just try to censor, I mean, I shouldn't say we, but the, the media and unfortunately our public health officials and big tech and big pharma want to just squash the conversation. And we have to have the conversation and we should not be agreeing. That's how you, isn't it true that the Wright brothers were bickering like crazy and disagreeing all the time and that that's how they discovered you know, that's how they made an airplane that could fly. I mean, if you look at any fascinating and wonderful invention of our our incredible human brains, it doesn't come about by everybody agreeing, nodding their heads and having one narrative. What that leads to is totalitarianism and repression and unhappy humans and people in jail. What leads to innovation and, you know, interest in, in life and, and vibrant health is when you have the conversation, you disagree, you change your mind. And I mean, I've changed my mind. I've refined my ideas so many times over the years and changed my mind. And I am absolutely willing to change my mind again. I know that anything I think I know for sure right now could not, could be shown to be wrong Tomorrow, I've got to be a big enough-minded person to be open to that, always. Dialogue. It's radical. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing that you're radical about. I like it. (laughs) You know, let's talk about it. I mean, it's what I do. It's how I learn. You know, that's what I love about what I do about interviewing people is I get information. I take that information in my brain and it rolls around and I go, Oh, that thing. That's how I come up with the idea of bees as a biomarker for the microbiome of the earth. So that's, it's all just in there rolling around like a box of marbles. (laughs) And I'm willing to change my mind. I may not sound like it on some things and I'm not willing to change my mind on glyphosate. (laughs) You can't convince me no matter what you say. Um, It's just not happening. But yeah, it's, I think we need to agree to, it's okay if we disagree, but we still need to be able to talk with each other. And part of that has to do with survival of the planet. I mean, there is that. The idea that we're currently moving a direction where if we kill the butterflies and the bees, it could be bad. I'll just put it that way. Well, I have some very good news for you. The planet is going to survive. My mother was a very important microbiologist um, and who is the person who came up with the idea of symbiosis in cell evolution. And she always used to laugh at people who were worried about the planet only because, and she was a, a, a very environmentally conscious and ecological minded person, but she, she would just laugh and say the bacteria are going to be fine. (laughs) And she'd say, they got along, you know, without us before they met us, and they'll get along without us after. So the issue for for me and you, I think, is this tremendous biodiversity, and that we don't want to lose the humans, and that is a very a very real concern, which is why, you know, people need to really start paying attention. Yes, and and <laughs> this is where we're slightly different. I'm I'm almost willing to like, okay, maybe the humans need to go, and everything starts over again. I'm not being mean. I'm just being like the direction we're going, we really seem to be like trying to push the rock over the hill to how far does the planet go? And the tipping point is like, wait, 
we might have to start over. We might have to reset. And yeah. on that happy note. Yeah. Well, we might like? see a die-off. You know, we might, I mean, we, we, there might be a drastic reduction in the human population. I, I, I don't want that to happen. And, you know, I yeah. was, I always loved humans. My mom always loved the microbes. So <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see us both continue to thrive. Right. I think I might be on your mom's team. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan of the microbes. Let them work it out because they have a much better instinct for community currently than we do. Um, okay. I know that you are jumping in a speeding uh, plane to get to someplace in a moment. Where would you like people to find out more about your writing and your work? And do you have an actual page at Epic Times or do we just go there and search for you? Um, so Epic Times is behind a paywall, which is a little bit tough, and so people need to get a subscription. But then once you once you put my name in, you'll get you'll get to me there, and uh, yeah, you'll only find three articles, but there's uh, seven. I'm sorry, there's eight more in the pipeline already. So, um, but please come to my website, which is www.jennifermargulis.net. There are thousands of helpful articles with all sorts of information. Much of it is exhaustively referenced, not all of it. Um, but you can sign up for my email list if you go there, and I send an email once a week. And I'm really encouraging people to do that. You can find me on Facebook, and I'm very active there, but I'm aware that I might be getting shut down any moment because of all of the censorship. So you can find me on MeWe, on Facebook, on Sphere, which is another new social media platform, on Twitter. Um, but the best place really to have direct contact with me is through my website, www.jennifermargulis.net. And how do you spell steer? Like cow? Or what is that? Did you say so steer, steer or steer? Steer. Steer is fascinating, but we don't oh, have time. I really have no, no, to no. I know. I just want to write it down for the... It's S-T-H-I-R. And it's a, it's a, it's a social media, but more of a... It's like an online library that's been built in blockchain that is very privacy oriented wow. and very in favor of of um of proactive good health and so what they do is you can save anything you find there and have your own sort of private card catalog and it won't get taken down because they are sort of censorship proof so awesome. it's, a, it's a wonderful repository i would encourage people to check that out too great thank you so much i know you have to go Thank you for having me, Richard. <laughs> Bye-bye. That was great. Thank you. Bye-bye.